all be buzzed out. Dodging cops and burning blocks will be the thugged out. It's time to shout. The big bodies on dubs out. Where they got caught in tabs and birds and water. I got it. I got, I got it. it. In the hood, buzzing like illegal. So need you get it hot. Welcome to another heated episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Up to your standards, Fran. Yes, thank you. Heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Hey. Hey. I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah. We're going to learn today. We are. We've been learning a lot. Episode 92. We're teaching y'all some sh** this year. Okay. In Black History Year, year, not month, year. Year. Thank you. I love it. Excellent. Let's go ahead and dive in because I'm sure we've got a ton of information to cover and I don't want to waste a second. Yes, let's go. So we will go ahead and start to my left and introduce our roundtable guests. Yeah. Hey, I'm Harrison Wallace. I'm the Virginia Director for Chesapeake Climate Action Network. Hello, I'm Danielle Sims. I'm the Interim Political Director for the Virginia League of Conservation Voters. Hello, I'm Jeremy Hoffman. I'm the Chief Scientist at the Science Museum of Virginia and a faculty member at Virginia Commonwealth University. Hello, I'm Kendall Crawford, the Director of Virginia Interfaith Power and Light. Yay! So if you couldn't guess, our show is on... We're going to talk about kittens! Yes, meow! (laughs) (laughs) Space kittens. Yes. Um, no, actually, we're going to talk about the climate and environment. Yes. Because I don't know if Richmond's doing so hot in that arena. We're a Virginia, big so. heat island. So, yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to learn along with our listeners because I'm no expert. Mm-mm, me neither. I really want people to understand this topic so that they go and vote based on their knowledge of mm-hmm. the climate and environment. So, Because climate change is real. This, That's a thing. Yeah. It, it is. It's real. <laughs> We're going to go based on that today, everyone. <laughs> That's the basis. Got it. Climate change is real, and we're not going to call it global warming because everybody gets real weird about that terminology, but climate change, it's a thing. So anybody can answer this. Where is Virginia at in terms of climate and environmental issues? How do you feel we are doing on the level of the rest of the country? Flaming bucket of Oh, sorry. <laughs> what? My bad. Go ahead. I can start. That was a pretty good, big analogy for where we're at. Virginia's at the bottom of most lists when it comes to energy efficiency, new renewables, environmental justice, or investment in, re- in resiliency. And this is even though we have some of the highest asthma levels in the nation, the second most vulnerable area to sea level rise behind New Orleans uh, and Hampton Roads. And the sinking seven cities. <laughs> The seventh highest energy bills in the country. So we have a lot of work to do. I think we're in a good spot to make a lot of that happen at the state level, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. Yeah. We have to, or we're going to yeah, be... Yeah, running out of time. Yeah. How about Richmond in general? What are we doing in Richmond to make things... Even uh, worse. Fiery <laughs> bucket of... <laughs> I mean, because it's not like we really see when we go to city council meetings, anybody putting forth many initiatives here. We can barely get trash cans at the bus stops, girl, stop. I'll take a shot at that as a starter. I think there's been an effort going on kind of in the background that the Richmond 300 program Mm -hmm. and the RVA Green 2050 plan are both rooted in this kind of sense that the decisions that we make now play out for a long time. I mean, the RVA Green 2050 plan started as a greenhouse gas reduction plan. Mm -hmm. But, you know, over the next, I think, year or so, you will see these things come up in city politics much more upfront, I guess. And so while that's kind of still going on, I think there are a lot of like really encouraging small projects that are going on related to things like community gardens. Uh, I think so one of the issues I think is that we don't do a very good job of connecting the things that are going on and positive to climate action. I think a lot of people don't see a community garden as climate action, but Mm -hmm. if we can kind of tie those things together, then a lot more going on in the city can be seen in that kind of like positive way. Yeah. And I think that's something that has made a definite, I wouldn't say a comeback, but it is a comeback because community gardens was a big thing in Richmond for a while and then it kind of died out. But uh, shout out to Duran, our friend Duran. He's doing a lot of work in that right now. I think another big piece of it, we talked about a lot of economic development, 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 development in Richmond. But we also have been working on more green space and parks. And 
I think a lot of our parks are getting revitalized right now in Richmond, and that's a big part of it too. We've also had a big uptick in public transit. That's helped, except for we are a car-dependent region, not yep. just city. So we have a long way to go Absolutely. on that. Fran, you bring up a really cool uh, thing about parks and this. The mayor just announced this. If you heard the state of the city speech, talked about this green team that's working together to kind of figure out where five new parks, 10 parcels of city owned land can be turned into parks really easily uh, with a with a mind towards minimizing exposure to urban heat island effects Mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, with an eye towards climate resilience through things like stormwater management and things that would generally help us build resilience in the sense of, uh, you know, a central Virginia urban area. Yeah, and that's a piece we tied right back into our favorite show about, you know, our health expectancies and uh, disparities. Yeah, that is absolutely the favorite show of mine that we've ever done is we had Brett Clausen, who's a um, MCV VCU medical student, and he did for his senior project, health outcomes by district. And it's unreal, the amount of asthma that we have in certain districts. But of course, which district do you think is the healthiest? (laughs) The first and fabulous and most richest. But like the sixth district has the lowest life expectancy at 69. It's mine. Um, And that's because we're right on top of Shaco Valley where all the industrial stuff is, right? And then you've got, you know, the eighth district, which is full of smokers and other industrial stuff too. It's it's crazy pants. But in these areas, heat, Mm -hmm. heat. Mm -hmm. So can we talk a little bit about Richmond's heat island issues, uh, Jeremy? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So in 2017, we led a a study with partners at Groundwork RVA and the city, VCU and U of R put basically like really sensitive thermometers hanging out of uh, like 16 cars. We had several people on bikes, including myself, fan out all over the city during a heat wave in July 2017. And what we found in collaborators at Portland State University, I'd be totally remiss without bringing them up. What we found was 17, 16, 17, degree difference between the warmest and coolest place at the exact same time on the same day uh, during that heat wave. And, you know, you were talking about Duran earlier. I showed him the map one of the first times I met with him uh-huh. uh, after we got our uh, the heat island map completed. And he had just one sentence and he said, the block is hot. Yes, it and is. So, yeah, that actually... Hot as hell. Yeah, so a lot of the areas... Literally. A lot of the areas that we see being the hottest parts of the city have historically a very particular a lot of the places you know we just published a concrete filled no grass no green space no trees right yeah yeah it turns out we just we just published a paper on the historical redlining maps in mm-hmm. richmond and several other cities around the country and oh, they overlap i know yep. they do Completely, yeah. There's a statistically it. warmer by grade uh, to to the derated redlined areas being, on average, about two and a half degrees Celsius uh, warmer than their non-redlined neighbors across mm. the country. Of course. What can we do to mitigate that? There are lots of things that we can do to uh, mitigate uh, the urban heat island effect itself, as well as keep people safe. So uh, one of the things that we discovered was that the same areas that are very hot have higher rates of ambulance responses for heat-related illness, mm-hmm. as well as um, high higher rates of zip code of residents for people showing up to urgent care centers in the hospitals for heat-related illnesses. Eat. Lots of things. You know, the first the f- one that you hear about all the time is greening, tree canopy. Unfortunately, that takes, you know, another 20 years. <laughs> yeah, the trees have to grow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Also, someone has to plant them. <laughs> right. That's not easy. Have to that that too. And take care of them, you know. <laughs> yeah, too. Um, Especially yeah. In the, when they're young. I mean, it, it takes quite a bit of effort to do that sort of thing. But really, it, you know, that's kind of long game. You know, there are 40,000 empty tree wells in the city of Richmond. Uh, do what? Yeah. There's, so there, according to data from, I think, 2015 or, or 2013, last time we had a tree census, as, uh-huh. will, as you will. A tree uh, census? Yeah. Um, there's a thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tree, like, Where can I urban, find this information? Yeah. The, so the, there's a map that's available through the city of Richmond. You can The florist see. in me is very intrigued right now. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really amazing information. And wow. Of hundred and about one hundred and twenty thousand tree wells, about forty thousand of them are empty right now. Okay, yeah. So we've got some corporations in Richmond. This is how this works. I'm gonna call you out: Altria, Dominion, uh, Rosies. We have the Pamunkey Tribe that's actually trying to come and mm-hmm. put a new casino in. We need you guys to invest in some of those tree wells. So uh, I don't want to hear anything about any new development or business until we get some of those trees and some of those empty wells. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Moving on. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm here for that. But so, so one of the another another so on the like the built environment side, there are ways to encourage lower temperatures through 
you know, providing a lot of shade. Some cities are moving towards like the reflective surface thing, you know, painting roads white, but that ends up just reflecting the energy somewhere else, right? Um, which is damaging in other ways, including potentially altering the ozone chemistry of the atmosphere immediately over the city. So right. don't want to do that. We're celebrating thing. some of the best air quality on record here in Richmond. Well, that's good to know. Hey, yeah. look, there's a high note. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 we had the fewest amount of, we had zero ozone exceedance days. Girl, uh, all this hot ass air, people are blowing around here, running their mouths. I know, you know right? Zip it. But, uh, but, <laughs> Then, you know, one thing that I really, really think is is an easy thing to do is to provide shelter. A lot of the areas in the city that we discovered that were hotter, lower income, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, mostly communities of color rely heavily on alternative transportation like the GRTC network. Absolutely. You you brought that up. I mean, it's such a, a, a wonderful service that we have and they've done some amazing things. But when you look at some of the hottest parts of the city, they're, they don't the, have best shelters, right? The, shel- the, the yep. there's no, that's where people get exposed to the heat, mm-hmm. you know, in, in their day-to-day lives. Uh, mm-hmm. like yeah, it's just straight up dirt and concrete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. or Not so, even a sidewalk. So figuring out, and I know there was a, 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 a recent push through, I think Bon Secours, uh, was trying to figure out like how to use some money to to build and maintain some shelters. That's they've actually done it. They've mm-hmm. done it now. Okay, that's awesome. So yeah, Cynthia was talking about that last week. So that that's would be. Amazing. That would be one of the things I think of as like, you know, a, a, an immediate health intervention mm-hmm. would be removing that exposure. I think we've got um, some other companies, too, that are working on that right now. I think they've been pressed as a good show of faith since Bon Secours has stepped up. So I would love to see that expand. So so it really comes down to like, do we connect the heat island stuff to other aspects? Because, I mean, as you mentioned, the health outcomes. Absolutely. We it, have it's, to. It's just one variable among dozens yeah. that make up environmental disparity in the city. We're not unique in a lot of ways. And I think we can learn from other cities in this way uh, to develop ways to make sure that development includes green space. Yeah. There are things called green factor scores from other yes. cities that encourage a minimum percentage of the lot to be covered with green infrastructure and things like that based on the square footage of the development. We currently, no one's really talking about that yet, I think, in many ways. That's a conversation that we could all be having. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, do we, how do we work that into the zoning codes that, that will undoubtedly need to be updated for the Richmond 300 plan. It's a perfect space for it. So talking about having conversations about this, how do you guys have conversations? All of you, I'm sure, have to talk to people all the time about these subjects. How do you reach people? How do you reach people, especially, um, Kendall, in the faith world that maybe don't believe in this or think it's really not that big of a deal? How do you get your message across to them? Girl, look, this is a real show. We can be real. Okay, we in the interfaith. How do you walk into this black church and say, we're not going to just pray that we can't just pray this away. Because, you know, we love to pray and altar call everything away. This is not going to be solved at altar call. We got to put some faith without works is dead. Right. That's what the good book says. So how are you communicating with people to especially those of us who love to put everything in the hands of prayer and don't like to do no work behind it. We got to put work behind it. How do you communicate the importance of this work? Also in conjunction with we can pray for it and we can pray on it, but we also got to put some hands to, to shovels and put trees in these empty tree wells. See, I'm going, I'm okay. we're going to stick on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with regards to the black church, unfortunately with climate change, whether, you know, we're looking locally, whether we're looking statewide, whether we're looking internationally, you know, there's a number of, of tragedies that already have happened that we're still seeing the consequences of. You know, one of the um, case studies that I talk about often, and actually one of the reasons why I'm even doing this work, is uh, Hurricane Katrina. Yes. Uh, So that happened when I was in in high school. And I'm from Virginia. I'm from Hampton Roads, but I was... 7'5"? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) 7'5'7". And so I I was glued to the the TV um, watching it when I... uh, just that whole time period, you know, what I saw, you know, were elderly folks, you know, folks that look like my grandparents. I'm an African-American woman, low-income folks. Stranded. Stranded, left behind. There's this one particular scene that's just seared uh, in my mind. It's of a uh, someone on a wheelchair didn't make it, and they were um, pushed into in a corner outside under an awning, and they had a tarp over them. Over them, yeah. Um, I've seen that picture. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's haunting. So when I go into the black church, mm-hmm. to the black community, you know, we bring up these stories, mm-hmm. um, how communities of color 
have been left behind in many ways, and this is just another example of that happening. One story in particular uh, is uh, from Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. um, is of a uh, older uh, black woman living in New Orleans at the time. I think she was in her 60s or 70s, and she decided not to go, uh, not to not to go because she was vacate, she, yeah. right, right, because um, she was uh, worried about her neighbors who were like in their 80s and 90s, and they weren't leaving. Yeah. Um, and some and, of them probably couldn't. Right, right. And so what ended up happening was, uh, unfortunately, that was you know one of the areas that was heavily hit. It was flooding, and she ended up having to literally go outside of her house mm. and catch her 80, 90-year-old neighbors as they were floating away. Jesus. So literally, mm. if black folks are not involved in, in climate change, especially here in Virginia and Hampton Roads, mm-hmm. um, where we are second most vulnerable to um, sea level rise, storm surge. If black folks don't get involved, we can look forward to catching our neighbors as they're floating, floating away. down. Yes, yeah, so they're mm-hmm. floating away. So uh, that's how we approach black churches in yeah. particular. And we have to we have to educate each other on it. And I, th- I find that's probably the largest piece is that there's a major miseducation in our and, and I don't even know if it's even a miseducation. There are so many things that the black community already has on its plate Mm -hmm. to try to figure out, solve, absolve. But this is one of those, this is one of the things on the list that will affect the generation you're in and the next five, 10, 20 past you. And if we can't figure out how to play our part in it, you will be reaching out of your door to catch your neighbor floating away. That is an analogy. Calling the, yeah, or, or, or calling the the 911 for your neighbor that's expired on the concrete next door because too hot they're gone yeah and it's it's those are the types of things that people don't understand when they say you know we should we should expand public housing or they should look like you know a continuation of what they already look like i don't know if we can afford that i don't mean money wise right like people wise we Mm -hmm. cannot continue to afford to put people in concrete flats with no trees and no grass and think that it's going to work. Let's pivot to politics. Like, how do you get people to go to the voting booth on climate issues? Sure, I'll try to take that one. One thing I've really focused on this year is figuring out other ways to talk about climate. So one big issue this year has been worker rights. Um, one of the biggest issues in the intersection of climate justice and primal justice and worker rights is that people who work outside 12 to 14 hours a day, they mm. often are immigrants or low-income mm-hmm. residents um, in Virginia. People of color. And do they have access to water when it's hot outside? Do they have access to shade? Do they have access to breaks? There's recommendations from um, the national standards, but are those being followed? And no. so we were working on a bill this year to help mandate that people have access to water and breaks and know the signs of heat stress when they're be- being a farm worker, especially do they have do what the signs of heat stress are. Unfortunately, the bill didn't pass because the wine industry and the beer wholesalers and uh, many agriculture businesses were concerned and the people who build homes, they were concerned that they this would be difficult for them to maintain. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, really? And so like that issue being at the intersection of immigrant rights and worker rights and environmental justice and health was a really interesting one to work on. And we will continue to work on next year. But figuring out ways that a lot more people can relate to the issues is how I've come to work on climate issues. Hmm. I think to go off of what Kendall was saying, I'm more in the prosperity gospel side of things on how we can look to build something off of climate change. So I think, you know, in Hampton Roads, a big part of it has been, you know, there's there's going to be a large investment in offshore wind. Um, you know, we need it, and it's a it's a new economic opportunity. But what about the windmill cancer? <laughs> the birds. The birds. birds. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in general, you know, if, if, that, almighty. if that actually happens and we're building, you know, enough wind to power a million homes, someone's got to build it. It's got to come to the port. If the port's ready for it, they can ship it out to the rest of the East Coast when they eventually figure out what they have to do. And people of color, black folks, a lot of people who are trying to get jobs at the port where there aren't as many as there should be could be involved in that, but not if they don't have a seat at the table. I think that's where um, I've been trying to push a lot of folks in in in, in just the social justice realm to think more about climate and what the the fact that we're going to have to shift our entire economy – Mm-hmm. To match this issue means for them it could it could look a lot like the uh, the new deal from a few years ago I mean from a few decades ago where they weren't included in it or it could be a chance for them to get lifted out um, into a lot of new opportunities 
So I think that's been one way to start getting more people to think of it is not just another attack on their community because people are just, you know, they're getting beaten down. I, I remember when I organized in, in Norfolk, I tried to start a Seacan chapter in Portsmouth at a meeting right by the waterfront. The, the church let me use one of their uh, one of their worship halls. And someone didn't know what it was for. They were coming in just to mm. check it out. And I, I was talking to him about flooding and we're second in New Orleans as far as uh, sea level rise. And he was just like, you know, my... My neighbor just got shot yesterday on this same street. Yikes. Why do I care if my feet get a little wet? Because I may not live no to see it. I'm not going to live mm. to see it. Jesus. And this is an opportunity for you to improve your community and get some resources in here. And at that point, we were, we're talking about legislation that we'll get into later, but they'll bring more money in there. But it's like, I'm not just saying that your community is getting worse. I'm saying this is an opportunity for you to really help it if you give me a chance to talk to you. More people appreciated that than, hey, guess what? I know the murder rate's high here. Also, two more feet of water are coming in the next 30 years, huh. so get ready for that. So I think just making sure that we're mm-hmm. not just always talking about how bad things are. There's There's got to be a way to really move into showing how this new clean energy economy can actually be good for people. Right. And then I think one thing the four of us have also worked on policy-wise is making sure that low-income residents are at the center of the table for policy development because they are often excluded. And I know every day we try to let those voices in the General Assembly when we're lobbying on bills. And then the the one thing I was going to add, like kind of thinking just beyond, you know, politics, but, you know, a lot of time when we're um, thinking about climate change, the the conversation is really rooted in, in fear and it's rooted in like, oh, what do I have to give up? What do I have to give up? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, another thing that we, we try to do is really try to kind of change the frame. Like, what are you gaining? You're gaining, you know, a beloved community. You are gaining deeper relationships with one another. You're not just you're not just losing a longer life. That's a big one, too. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, like, what? Longer life. Is yeah, a sustainable good. community is one where everyone's closer together. They're growing their own food. They're creating mm-hmm. their own energy. I mean, that's that's a future I want. And it's not just doom and gloom. Like I think has been the messaging for this movement for a long time. A long time, yeah. There's we're gonna all die. There's no way to fix this. And it's like we can fix it, but we can. Uh, there's there are well, and I think that's also important too. We do have to make sacrifices. Like we can't continue to all drive Hummers. Right. We have to express the urgency of the situation. Even though my car says I need a Hummer. <laughs> Me and wow. these Richmond potholes are not getting along at all. <laughs> and so I'm on... You mean black holes? Ty- yes. And I'm Doom. on my second set of tires for the year. And I'm about $1,700 into rim repair right now. Woo. So I need a Times. tank something because me and this car ain't getting along. Well, I think that's a perfect way to bring up people's exasperation with car culture mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, and, and then not seeing that as actually one of the main drivers of any Virginian's it. carbon footprint it. is transportation. Yep. And, you know, I think we've made a lot of we've made a lot of progress with the energy policy that's coming through. We, we should certainly celebrate any progress that exists, but demand more of it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's really a key thing. But start to link together this other thing. Like, it's not just the light bulbs. It's the thing that you drove <laughs> here bulbs. in. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think the, you know, the GRTC increase in ridership due to the pulse mm-hmm. is a very encouraging step forward to start, you know, thinking about, well, what if we don't need cars? What if we, what if we really don't, what if, what if we figured out a different way to get more people around easier and Uh quicker and with less stress and with all the negative things that come with a sprawling kind of car centric Uh uh, environment. I mean, it's linked to obesity, air quality problems, skin cancer. It's just, that's why I have just being straight up broke on this for repairs and insurance. Girl, don't start me on it. But I mean, that's one of the things I think about all the time is if we had a rapid, a regional rapid transit system, like it would save. I mean, I went to 757 today and went to three cities there and came back to go come here. And then I, this morning I was in Fredericksburg. I've hit the Eastern side of the state today. So for somebody like me that drives, I live in the county and I traveled through two counties to get to Richmond. You know, what do I do? I mean, I don't, and there's some, you know. There's some promising policy even related to transit now coming through. I forget what, it ends up being something like $15 million or something for transit, but still so much other money. That's actually, it seems like it's kind of meant for road improvement or expansion and widening and all those sorts of things. And, and that's really, I think the conversation that we need to try and encourage is like, it's going on in the city. We're talking about transit. It's great. But what about everywhere else? If we were able to take a train from here to the coast in mm. an hour, you know, 
that would be Man. amazing, right? I you mean, can't see us, but in Radio World, she just pumped out. I was like, <laughs> I was like, yes, girl, yes. I think you know, it's just there was. It's just when you know you go anywhere else in the world, it seems you have so many more options. Mm-hmm. You have so much more choice, and that's so. Talking about how we talk about these, the opportunity that climate change in many ways presents is the opportunity to provide people with more choices about transportation. Once people get an experience that amplifies that, and they can start to resonate with, like, wow, that was actually really easy mm-hmm. and I could check my email and I could do work man, on the train. People I are wish, like amazed man. by that. Yeah. I wish, man. I don't even have the option of Uber. People ask all the time, like, how come you don't go out with us more in the city? And I'm like, go because Uber is $150 to my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would cost me a small fortune to Uber. So no, I can't. Sorry. See y'all next week. <laughs> It's bad. And so I wish that we had more options. And I think that would also connect the city a lot better. It's just we got to start somewhere. So mm-hmm. I think we're at a good space right now, city wise. Now, how do we connect this to we're, we're in session right now. So we've talked about how we, you know, kind of pivot and change the conversation to attract voters. Now we've got the voters coming to the ballot box to vote on those issues. Now, once we get those people in office, which we did this, you know, last year, now we got to make them do what we need to do to get this stuff moving. What's going on in the GA right now what are you guys lobbying for what's happening what policy is happening right now that's going to drive movement in the coming years to help us with this or what do you want what's missing what do you want to see right, i'll go first uh, danielle is is the, the the queen of the house of delegates so she really she'll... is <laughs> 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 she can break it down a lot um, okay i know on on our end i mean a lot of things that we're likely going to pass this year we've been working on for like five years mm-hmm. like it's been stuff we've been asking for uh for a while but is try, we're trying to reduce carbon emissions um, as aggressively as possible. First step that uh, CCAN and a lot of other environmental groups have been working on to make that happen is the uh, Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI. It's a cap-and-trade program, um, puts a price on carbon, reduces uh, emissions every year until hopefully if all our plans come through uh, until we get to zero. And what I'm excited about this year is that in past years, we've tried to work the bill to talk about sea level rise or sometimes a little bit of energy efficiency to help lower bills, but we've never got into like a real just way of getting that money uh, across. And at this point, it's looking like this bill, which will generate close to a billion dollars over the next decade, like it's a Mm. lot of money. The bill that we were able to to, to push and get back to what Danielle was saying about putting low-income people at the table um, is going to invest half of that money in low-income energy efficiency. So these yes. are... These are people, you know, below the median income, wherever the local median income or their state one, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what is greater, so that we're making sure that uh, people qualify, whether in Southwest Virginia or okay. um, in Arlington, and that's going to go directly back into their homes. R- Virginia has some of the highest energy burdens in the nation. The cities that have the highest energy burdens are also cities that have the highest eviction rates in the nation. I haven't, we have not done the study to see how they correlate, but if your energy bill is way too much of your annual income, then I'm assuming that. You may have to make a decision between keeping your lights on or staying in your apartment. So this will this will create a program where every year um, we're putting millions of dollars into seeing why their energy bills are so high and fixing that. Um, and then the other half of that money, or 45% of it, is going to uh, sea level rise resilience. Community flood preparedness. Community flood <laughs> preparedness. But uh, but at this point, I can say sea level rise for once in the General Assembly. That was a banned word for many years. Mm. What? Um, Recurrent flooding. Recurrent flooding. I just... Not anymore. (laughs) Some delegates are no longer in office, so... Oh, wow. There you go. So no more of the semantics BS, right? Okay, great. Okay. But uh, there's... there's, And terminology. Get out of town. (laughs) (laughs) There was no money in the budget for sea level rise mitigation. Um, if I remember, in this budget, and this is a billion, multi-billion dollar problem. So what? Reggie will be the first time ever that we will actually invest state money in dealing with a problem that, uh, you know, Kendall talked about how it got her in the climate movement. It's the same, that's the same, my same personal story. Um, mm-hmm. I was in high school watching that unfold. And mm-hmm. uh, at that point, I was still believing in the American dream and thought, at least if I'm a citizen, I'll be treated the right way. And then from there and Mm-mm. from to Trayvon Martin, everything that happened after that, I quickly learned uh, hmm. where our power structure views people that look like me. I'm also an African-American man. So this is an opportunity to make sure that those folks are actually getting prepared for what's what's bound to happen with sea level rise. Mm-hmm. And again, a portion of that money is directed to low-income communities. 25%. 25% yeah. of that, which is, wasn't ever in the other bills. And they're nature-based provisions. So this mm-hmm. means we're not just lifting up some millionaire's house or uh, raising a street that will then just send the water downhill to a low-income community. <laughs> Radio Land cannot see the, sh- the, the, <laughs> the thing I just did. Like, what the? 
That's <laughs> 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 the thing. Uh, the, if your house floods three times in Hampton Roads, they will just put stilts on your house and lift it up. They certainly will. Yeah. There's um, whole neighborhoods full of them. It's called Procosin. So uh, this will actually deal with uh, making sure we have more wetlands and thinking of just other ways that we can just actually live with water mm-hmm. instead of trying to keep it out because it's not going to work. No, because we're already at the point where we living with it. we on we on, on top of it at this point. I don't want to be like Kevin Costner in Waterworld. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> I don't want to drink my own pee. No, especially I, since black people have a historical issue. I take so much issue with So much issue with Waterworld. What a mess. There's, first of all, there's not that much ice on the planet <laughs> to melt, to create right. Waterworld. And Listen. and then this is this is a trivia question. I love what that. city – I'm sorry to derail this conversation. No, this is we, no we were on You're we were on, on an RBA Dirt thing. show. So, yeah, yeah, we were on such a good this thing talking about like, you know, provisioning money for low-income neighborhoods. <laughs> and then I'm just like, the issue with Waterworld <laughs> – enough there's not that much ice and then well so then and then the, what city was this <laughs> so they, it, it looks like denver colorado is what he like pulls them down in the little tube thing you know, <laughs> like the little bubble right it brings me like okay so the, um, a oh you need to go watch this movie for sh- it's, it's has, unbelievable. You know, several thousands of feet of water even above it, it all right I, i'm i'll get off the water world thing but just know that's that. like a major a major like wow because denver's <laughs> elevation never mind right go ahead yeah so it's just one of those oh movies God, it's it. one of the worst like in some ways like cli-fi movies that i can mm-hmm. think wait of. what's the best one? Oh, the best one well so oh man that's a good question ice age <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> listen no. though don't come for ice age it is funny no i'm not gonna come for ice age i love that movie <laughs> so much i love it so much i've only seen it a million times because um, i'm a mom and yeah, that's all they want to watch no so i think like, like a live action movie that actually does pretty well to talk about particular things you know interstellar was pretty good mm. uh, as far as like that blight situation that they were in i disagree with the feeling that we need to send a white guy into space and then in through a seven-dimensional tesseract to fix what we were doing <laughs> on the planet to ruin it. Of course, so, a white guy would be sent right. to do this. Yes, of, of course. course. Yeah. Of all right. Course. All right. All right. But so that's, I don't think, <laughs> I think that one. And that white that guy one, at that. Yeah. Right. I don't think, I don't think um, that movie, that movie did pretty well to talk about like this, like a blight that who, would be. Who is now fishing his ass off in these commercials? Because anybody else digging these commercials? <laughs> Oh the oh yeah he's in that well he's in the giant hey, Lincoln car. Commercials. He's Lincoln commercials and he's like yeah. I'm gonna go ice fishing right. and with and, my Lincoln and, and then like sprawl thing. out in the back seat like lay these, down and these butter burgundy lambs skin leather seats and he's like with his like fur raccoon parka but I'm an outdoorsy like, kind of guy and he's like ice fishing <laughs> and like twelve hours it's like SpongeBob runs across the screen it's like twelve hours later and then the little fish thing like it's like I got a fish and he like runs out to go get it and it's like living the outdoors life in luxury world haven't seen this commercial <laughs> the commercial it's I'm t- now I'm who's you. getting an education <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you google please google, go to youtube go to al gore's internet and look up these lincoln navigator they're like lincoln navigator and they're like just lincoln in general they're these commercials this is the guy that saved us all in interstellar right it's wild but you know getting back to the car culture thing for just a second is like think about all the commercials i was watching the super bowl and all the commercials were uh, idolizing these giant huge ass cars you know that you know i see parking spaces now in the city of richmond and people can't park yeah and they're too big for a traditional (laughs) parking space it's 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 maddening to watch these folks you know circle around uh, the, trying to the, back, the, in, back in, you know? yeah. So this is why park. we need more um, buses because more buses. We can, we, can, we can lower our stress level. In my household, we'd love to do solar because our mm-hmm. roof is perfection for mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And we have all this lovely southern sunlight coming in. But there's a whole lot of impediments to that. Can really? we talk? Yeah. Can we talk about that? Is it in because of the city? It's a state level. Oh, I've got solar. Internet. <laughs> um, I mean, I could talk a little bit about Yeah, talk a little bit about, about the impediments yeah. there. <laughs> there are a lot of impediments. Um, and I know a, a few of them will hopefully be solved this year in session. Ha-ha! Um, I'll talk to uh, 
to Senator McClellan, I think a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She's sponsoring two bills that are going to do a lot gonna say, yeah, to she's really two. fight that. She's been really good this year. So, you know, the first bill is the solar freedom bill. That's the big one. There, That one listed eight impediments. I don't know if I can run off all of them off the top of my head, but... Whatever you got. Yeah, I mean, the big ones are like there are random charges from Dominion standby charges that make yep. it more expensive for you to do it. Um, the big one, I think, for us is the net metering cap. So, of our, our total load in Virginia, um, which is many gigawatts, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, 1% of that is like what can actually go on your roof and Dominion will pay you a fair rate for the energy that you're creating and putting uh-huh. back on the grid. Um, we're getting very close to that number. And again, it's a really low number. So it's just, it's stifling business. Like uh-huh. people, companies aren't going to come here if they know there's only a 1% cap. So right now her bill and then kind of the bigger one that she's sponsoring, the Clean Economy Act, would move that up to 6%, so sixfold. And then actually create a process. So when we get close to it, the SEC, the State Corporation Commission, will actually just figure out what it should be after that. And just mm. keep raising it. So for a long time, Dominion has just blocked any attempt at actually mm-hmm. making that higher. Mm. Because why, why would they want to pay you for energy when they can just build it? That's kind right. of, that's and that's, how they think And you know it. that's what they're doing. So Surrey County is filled with Dominion's solar plants. They've got, they've like rented fields from farmers that are like not using their, pro- or they're not getting a great yield mm-hmm. off of their, and that we know why, because the ground is saturated with, bull- sorry, those things. Yes. And so <laughs> I drove right. past like five of them. Mm-hmm. on the way back um, up here and they're filled with it. But I actually haven't run into those impediments because I don't have Dominion as my energy provider. You a co-op? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a co-op. They, they, they solved this problem last year. They passed a bill that fixed the net metering issue for at least for a while for co-ops. Yep. But Dominion was, you know, I guess they, they were hard. They were fighting it. Yeah. yeah they were so fighting it because they, they could control That's it. That's why it's difficult in the city. Yeah, it's difficult. I was going to say it must be because of the city because I'm in the county and they actually, t- the energy company actually came to us and was like, hey, if you don't want to put them on your house, can you at least put them in your yard? Because should I put them all over my yard? Let's you're, do it. You, you have the perfect space <laughs> you know? for it, right? Because we don't have any trees. Lord knows when the blim, when wind blows, it feels like the damn house is going to blow away. Like, we don't have any. Well, let's put some trees. windmills out there too, then. Girl, we need some, but we'd kill all the birds. So right? That's I don't how know. They, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> you know, but yes, like we, they actually approached us and was like, "Hey, we will." And there were actually programs. Like we got approached by several programs and a company that was like, "Hey, we'll go in with y'all to put it on your house." But y'all, non Dominion folks. Are are definitely at an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but make sure if you if you do live in a co-op area, uh, those are owned by the people who buy their energy. So run yeah. to the board of your local co-op. Yeah. Another do even more strong things. Another barrier has been like, we hopefully will pass a bill on this has been HOAs. They've been blocking people adding solar panels. Yeah. I think we, I think our bill yeah. on Delegate Delaney sponsored this will alleviate some of those barriers between HOAs and those interested in putting solar panels on their roofs. Yeah, because they don't yeah. want them to ugly yeah. up the neighborhood. Shut the hell so up. crazy is that the like number one predictor of whether or not you have solar panels on your house is whether or not your neighbor, neighbor does. does. <laughs> and so <laughs> by, by having that impediment there, it is. That's why they came to us because they were like your neighbor. You have a neighbor that has some and we were like don't you want it yeah and i was yeah, like social sure pressure. i mean okay. that social pressure is huge and that we see that across the board with a lot of things is like if you know that your neighbor is doing something you're more likely to do it yourself um we see it with like trash and recycling and all this sort of like i good, wish that applied basic to all things behavior. but okay yeah I mean, i'm not gonna call my neighbors out but all right <laughs> cutting the grass <laughs> bingo ding 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 but that's, I, I think it's a huge thing to understand that there are some things that are just for a greater and higher good mm-hmm. than what you perceive you individually, you know, perceive as like the character mm-hmm. of, you know, and I'm using air quotes because yeah. it's so classically that idea of character of a neighborhood. A few other bills we tried to push to make sure that we are putting solar panels in more strategic places we had a bill to put solar panels in parking lots, incentivizing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that we want more parking lots, but at least... Shade, having shade on them. And then um, on brownfields and mine lands. I think both those bills may have failed, but I have to check the details on our online database. Mm. But figuring out where the most strategic places for solar solar is has um, been one of our priorities. Some of these yeah. corporate rooftops, since we're not, everybody doesn't need a rooftop bar. It's just a, a parking lot. There's just so many opportunities for these giant parking lots that could... <laughs> Don't have no tree cover. 
That mm-hmm. one would help uh, your car or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you're driving over there from burning up in the summer. But there's just so much free energy right there. Yeah. yeah. Covering them up. There are tons of examples of that on like university campuses in other states yeah. that utilize it um, on their largest parking lots. Uh, we have an example of it actually here in Richmond now down at the Whole Foods. There are some solar canopies in that parking lot. At the Which Whole, one? The new Whole Foods. The new Whole Foods on Broad? Yeah, yeah on right Broad the street. street. Yeah, mm-hmm. so just down the street. I walked past it on my way here. So there's some encouraging movement towards that. But we, it, we, we get back to like the state, pol- state level stuff. It's interesting when you look at the locations of installed solar along the east eastern seaboard and like north carolina is just like covered in small scale utility scale solar projects and the in the 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 relative total missing like almost non-existent kind of footprint in virginia and then just just north of us in maryland that gets right back to you know so it's this this interesting thing that you know using data we can see that there's been this, we're way far behind our neighbors on solar uh, as an opportunity, not only for energy benefits, but for jobs and, you know, benefits to the communities. Are there any regions in Virginia that are actually excelling when it comes to reducing carbon footprint? Is there somebody we can look at and hold up as a good example? (laughs) I think there may be a few cities that have goals to get to um, 100% renewable energy by 2050. I don't know them off the top of my head. Alexandria, Fairfax County is doing a lot on just kind of solar penetration. Now, of course, everyone there seems to have a car, even though they can take the metro. So we got to work on that part. But in general, right. yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of solar penetration there. The electric school bus program is is getting bigger there. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? I it was just we we have this project at the science museum right now that we're getting started an air quality project, mm-hmm. and we have these. Actually, brought it with me a little handheld air quality sensor that would be really great to like you know give to some school kids or whatever on like before they implement those uh, electric buses to mm. see the difference you could actually like measure the impact that's what i think is missing a lot of the times with some of the, our plans is that idea of metrics like how do we how do we perceive success and i think that's a really good way to get community members involved is to do those sorts of like monitoring of the improvement over time we install this green infrastructure in your neighborhood would you like to help us understand how well it's doing you know, I bet there's some some outlets for that. I yeah. bet you that we could probably find you some connections. Yeah, some, cl- some schools, yeah. classrooms that would want that. Absolutely. I, I, we we've got a bunch of stationary air quality sensors as well as well as handheld ones that measure particulate matter, which is one of the leading causes of respiratory issues and asthma, and mm-hmm. in, in especially in parts of the neighborhoods that we already identified as the hotter ones so mm-hmm. we're we're trying to like gain that understanding of how it varies across the city so actively looking for community scientists to help us better understand mm-hmm. how air quality varies across the okay. environment shout yeah. out hey jason cameras if you have some teachers or programs in your middle and high schools mm-hmm. around throughout rps that want to participate in that program if you want to put something together hit us up yeah absolutely we'll connect y'all Go Particularly ahead. looking for places to site these these more permanent stationary sensors on the south side of Richmond. We've been really successful in getting locations on the north side of the river, but we okay. haven't really been as successful getting sites on the south side of the river. Dr. Mike Jones, calling Dr. Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. Who? <laughs> right. All right. You got it. But just just to say that we're we're doing some more interesting like monitoring stuff to get people engaged on the issues, okay. um, and hopefully be able to then use those data to to be at the table and have evidence to support what they're what we're all. I bet you we for. can work on that, and we should have a state of the district show coming up with Reva pretty soon. <laughs> if she'll Maybe come. we can. Ah, it's okay. We'll get her to come. She'll be all right. We'll see what we can do. Maybe we can get her to take some too Ooh, in her neat. district for eighth and the ninth. One of the uh, things that we've been uh, talking a lot about today is. Um, you know, climate action, climate change, and how it has potential to either exacerbate existing oppressions or to lead to a, a more just society. Mm-hmm. And so one of the items that Virginia Interfaith Power and Light and uh, CCAN and LCV2 has been helping out with as a part of the Environmental Justice Collaborative are two bills focused on environmental justice. So not specifically on the issue of climate change, but of course, environmental justice that that sphere contains addressing mm-hmm. climate issues as well. And so when I say environmental justice, um, just talking about 
disproportionate impacts felt by low-income communities, felt by communities of color, how it always seems that um, those communities have uh, all the energy burden, like we were just talking about, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, urban heat island effect, you know, whether it's that or whether it's landfills or industry, you know, what have you. So anyway, that's that's environmental justice. We're working on um, two bills, and it's very exciting because it looks like, well, One's passed. It looks like both of them are going to pass. They're both concerning, number one, codifying Virginia's Council on Environmental Justice, and then number two, uh, making it the policy of the Commonwealth to promote environmental justice. And so this would be a really big leap forward because not even many states have, you know, have, these, have these implement, implemented in the code, which is really exciting. So when it's in the code, it's not temporary. That's been part of our frustration. It's temporary depending on who's governor. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to rely on that. So we'd rather it be in the code and be a permanent existing council. And even the governor who may have enacted it might not like what they have to say sometimes. And if it's in his or her hands, then uh, that's just... (laughs) 2021, possibly her. Yeah, this will give them the, uh, the, the authority they need. So the council bill is really exciting. And then just the EJ Act, when you think about like... Like how we talked about heat islands and the fact that bus stops in those areas aren't covered. If it's in the policy of the Commonwealth to actually look at those disparities instead of just doing what folks who have been in those positions have been doing forever, at least there's more that we can hold them accountable to to get them to actually take action on mm-hmm. it. Um, and it's just never been law that they had to look at disparities like that. So I think it'll be big for transportation projects and in general, just housing and land use. If now they have to look at EJ, um, and I know another part of, I think the clean economy act and things that we're doing in other areas is like getting the social cost of carbon into the uh, state corporation commission's proceedings on whether they should permit new power plants or anything else they need to permit when it comes to our energy production. Because if they're never actually looking at how much it costs in human lives and, and uh, to the, to general society. Emergency then, visits and yeah, all those things. Then uh, a natural gas plant may look better economically than a solar farm or, mm-hmm. or a wind farm. Um, but when you add that in, that, you know, I think the, the IPCC had it at $42 a ton of carbon mm. as the as the price for the social cost. Once you add that in, then it's clear which one is actually more affordable. Um, but they've never had to think about it. It's never been part of, of law that forces them to think about it. Mm. And imagine if we thought about that in every decision that we make. I, mean, I think about that down to the level of an individual uh, thing even here in the city, you know, let alone a giant gas plant, but like anything that we decide to do, if we really thought hard about the downstream effects of those things and the cascading impacts across different, all different uh, spheres, you know, whether it be environmentally or socially, makes things have a whole different way of being evaluated. For sure, that's really encouraging. One thing I want to, one thing that I wanted to ask about, there's a really, something that I've read about recently, and this goes into the environmental justice side of things, is a couple cities, this paper was about Philadelphia specifically, but the introduction of green infrastructure, which is used to build resilience to extreme heat and precipitation events, actually ended up creating displacement. And through time, it was like basically this, this idea of green gentrification. And so more and more, I'm starting to think of these environmental issues and climate resilience through the lens of like housing and Mm. being what we haven't started to talk about, I think is that aspect of it. If, if you're able to remain in your neighborhood, regardless of the kinds of changes that go on, because if we put in green infrastructure, unfortunately, many times that improves the quality of the neighborhood in a sense, the built environment is more attractive. So then that builds, you know, this investment in it that sometimes can lead to displacement through property tax it going way up or, you know, what have you. And so like f- tying in climate change action and environmental justice with housing, I think is something that I'm still exploring and trying to learn as much as I can about. But um, just wanted to bring up that like, as we start to have these conversations about putting these resources back into the communities that need them the most, is that is that community going to be allowed to remain in that neighborhood after it's been, you know, revitalized in some ways? That's a fantastic question. Mm -hmm. I wish I had an answer to that. Mm -mm. I don't think anybody does. But some cities like I said, Philadelphia, it's well documented now that it created displacement and places, communities of color were forced out of the neighborhoods that received the green infrastructure and then arrived in new neighborhoods that didn't receive any additional green infrastructure. So they're moving from a vulnerable place, getting investment and then being being you know, displaced to a more vulnerable situation. It's really without that kind of protection, a housing kind of 
as as like the shelter that these people need, can they still afford it? Can they remain in those neighborhoods? I think is that such a central question that we need to be thinking about as we take big steps uh, in the state. And that will be a big part of what Norfolk looks like, I think, in the next 20 to 50 years. Their 2100 plan um, basically requires shifting the entire economic center of the city kind of away from the waterfront and then protecting certain areas that they think they need to keep. And surprise, surprise, all the public housing is being raised in this plan. And they're, I, I, I haven't seen it. Again, I don't live there anymore, so I'm not as tight in as I used to be, but at least from when I lived there, the only plan for those folks was to give them vouchers that a lot of people uh, around the city don't accept. Mm. Um, so I think that's just... Yeah, areas that are they're dealing with sea level rise are gonna. I think New Orleans went through it, and in, in that that's just a completely different city now. And there are tons of black and brown people who used to live there who don't live there anymore, um, even though they rebuilt the city. So I, I just, that's something we have to keep in mind. And the only the only solution that I see right now is just that people from those communities need to be a part of the planning process. Yeah, and it will require folks to let them in who say they care about these issues instead of trying to speak for them. And that's that's going to be critical. So I think one issue happening in Hampton Roots, I don't live there, but I, from knowing from people who live there, is that um, when people are moving around due to flooding concerns or sea level rise concerns, that's destroying the how the school systems are redistricted. And so a lot of times um, low-income neighborhoods and um, people of color go to more older schools. I think half the schools in Virginia are um, built over 50 years ago. Oh, yes. And so that's a whole other... <laughs> whole other um, issue is figuring out how to make sure that investment is going into schools that need it the most. And if we're reshuffling where that money is going to based on who lives there, that's a whole other set of cards to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to wrap it up here shortly. But um, in our last few minutes, one, who is our biggest polluter in Virginia so we can put them on blast? Well, at the energy production level, mm-hmm. transportation is number one. I don't know who, who would be number one there. Probably citizens. Depends on what pollution you're talking about. Yeah. The, uh, is, is pollution, is it putting things into water? Is it using too much of it and restricting it from other folks? So I so think that, that, no, really I think this actually, <laughs> no, I think this is great. It's like an onion. So many layers. When you say pollution, because I'm a regular old person who doesn't do this for a living. And to me, it's like, okay, what kind of garbage are they pumping into our air, into our water? But at the same time, you're like, okay, well, that too. What are we taking out of it? There's, I, yeah, I guess there's a ton of layers to pollution that you don't really think about, right? A lot. We're going into election season, obviously. What is your message to voters as they go to the polls to look for and to press their candidates on in this 2020 election when it comes to climate and environment? Don't all jump at once. I know. Sure. Think I on it. I will try to tackle this question. <laughs> <laughs> One thing Personally, I have my candidate definitely <laughs> decided early on. But one thing I really liked about this person, um, whoever he or she may be, is that this person was committed to tackling environmental justice and a long-term trajectory on how to fix the climate change crisis. And I think the biggest part of transitioning to this clean energy economy is how to train a new workforce of how to get there. That, that for me, first and foremost, um, but making sure that they also have a plan to make sure that our water is drinkable and our air is breathable for everyone, not just those in Loudoun County. <laughs> for me, that's been my driving force of um, who I am supporting. Yeah, and as, uh, you know, CCAN is nonpartisan, but I am clearly supporting Elizabeth Warren for president. I'm just going to say that. But, um, and the reason is because she uh, focuses on justice in every part of what she talks about. And I think everything has to be centered in justice. And if you're doing that, then it will work with your climate plan. Um, and then more importantly, that um, she just got it done uh, in the before she became a senator and as a senator. So I think as you're looking for someone, it's somebody who has proven that they can go against the grain and still make things happen. And then that, you know, they're putting their plans like where their rhetoric is and that the, the, the plan of action matches um, the stuff that they're talking about in those 30-second ads. Well, I just want to encourage folks to um, use the time between now and the election to to do some reflection and internal contemplation. Um, you know, for instance, uh, Virginia Interfaith Power and Light. We have a Linton Creation Care calendar coming out. For... Say that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can. I don't Whoa, know if I can, but. Uh, you know, it's just a way for folks to mark, uh, for Christians to mark the season of Lent um, and just to be more contemplative um, as we are doing our, our everyday things, including listening to the news um, and weighing in on local politics. 
I like people and candidates for any office to be able to listen to information that goes against their worldview uh, and incorporate it into a new, improved, better informed worldview. So I think that is something that is so sorely missing in many of our discussions around everything these days is just that like there are some things evidence-based decision-making can be used for to improve the lives of everyone. And so I think if you can find a, a person to support that will take conflicting evidence to their own, or I mean, stronger evidence and reshape their worldview presented with new evidence, that's like fundamentally who I would support for anything. As Fran and I know well, oh. we at the Richmond local level coming up, we're going to have forum after forum after forum. And so citizens, this is your chance to stand up in front of your candidates and ask them these questions that we discussed today. Ask them where they stand, what their initiatives are, what their plans are for their districts and the city as a whole. Everybody's up for election. Everybody. So there's probably, you know, they haven't all announced yet, but I'm sure there's going to be a glut of candidates in every district. And this is a really great time to involve environmental justice in your questioning. Carbon footprint, transportation needs, green spaces, you know, maybe push them a little more in the direction that you'd want them to go. Because the more people who stand up with the same sort of goal, the more that likely they are to push in that direction. But anyway, yeah, uh, that's it for today, folks. Um, How about you guys tell us how folks can reach you on social media if they have questions or through email or whatever. You'd and like how to they share. can follow your work. Yeah. So for me, you can reach me at uh, HJ Wallace VA uh, on Twitter or uh, Instagram, CCAN at CCAN um, or uh, CCAN.org. If you want to learn more about our lobbying work at CCANActionFund.org, that's our C4 wing uh, that does our lobbying. And we look forward to seeing you out there. Um, For me, I think my Instagram and Twitter are both the same. It's dn underscore sims, S-I-M-M-S, dsims, S-I-M-M-S at V-A-L-C-V dot org is my email address. And Virginia League of Conservation Voters, we are a three-pronged organization. We are a C3, a C4, and a PAC. And so you can Google search for any of those to see what we're up to endorsing candidates or if we are lobbying bills or if we are doing voter registration. And the scorecard. And the scorecard. Forgot about that. Voter (laughs) registration. Thank you. Yes. The best way to find me is come to the Science Museum of Virginia. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we, we make a lot of content on our social media streams. Just search Science Museum of Virginia. Me personally, you can find me on Twitter at jer underscore science, J-E-R. And uh, yeah, we have a big Earth Day event coming up on April 25th at the Science Museum of Virginia. Please come out. And um, there's going to be a day of service as well as interactive sorts of uh interactive events and exhibits uh, all about making the world a better place. Hey, and if you want to follow Virginia Interfaith Power and Light on Twitter, it's at V-A-I-P-L. Then on Instagram, it's V-A underscore I-P-L. And before I I give you the mic, I just looked up real quick the top five total polluters for 2018 in terms of air, water, land, and off-site disposal. It's on the Toxic Release Inventory on the Environmental Protection Agency website. Nice And the top one is U.S. Army Radford Army Ammunition Plant. Interesting. Okay. Followed by West Rock Virginia Corp., you know, big paper producer, Jewel Coke. Um, then Smithfield Fresh Meats Corp- Corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I knew it. Uh-huh. I knew it. The number five was Advanced Six Inc. Hopewell Plant. Now, are they uh, and that we drive past by? Wow. Past two of those today. Now, the one in Smithfield, were they west. water or were they? Um, they used to be high in water pollution. So Smithfield is high in offsite disposal or other releases. Yep, it's pesticides the, and it's chem- pesticides <laughs> and chemicals. Yep. And, and uh, for a long time, it was water. And the town of Smithfield fought them like a <laughs> over dumping <laughs> into the mm. Pigan River. They were tearing it up, and now they're in North Carolina spraying pig waste and waste from the farm in the air of all places. That's where I want it. That was a big issue when. Um I'm getting my hurricane names confused. Uh, the one that hit North Carolina a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. they uh, hit those pig farms and all that stuff spewed out into the community. It, it picked flooded. up, uh, yeah, and it picked up those cesspools of... Mm-hmm. And, and Hampton Roads, we have... So many layers to pollution. Millions of tons of coal ash. They could mm-hmm. do the same thing if yep. we don't 
deal with that problem. There we go. Actually, last year we cleaned up coal ash. That's a whole other long story. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, thanks, y'all, so much for coming, for educating us, having this conversation. I hope y'all will come back again. If you guys can think of anything that you want to talk about, just hit us up. We'll be happy to have you. Go visit the Science Museum, Richmonders. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, and go plant a damn tree. GRTC uh, bus. If you have an un- unlimited pass from GRTC, you get into exhibits for free at the Science Museum of Virginia. Oh, oh wow. that is rad. I love knowing that. Great. Well, thanks y'all for all the work you're doing and continued success. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, as always, listeners, you know where you can find us to continue this conversation or start another one at RVA Dirt on all social media. You know what time it is. <sighs> Flint still has dirty water, and now so does New Jersey. Probably a whole bunch of other places, too. Damn it. Our PS is fully funded. <laughs> I know, here, too. Here, too. We're doing the symbol like, we're working on it. doing the symbol like, Richmond, too, bitch. Richmond, too. Bitch. <laughs> Damn. Leg, oh, everything. Gosh. RPS was fully funded this year, but we need to start working on next year and the year after that. And the Budget year after season that, and the year after next that. month. Yes, to infinity and beyond because we need all of those things. And you know what? Richmond is still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. Some people come and come back. It's not just a plan. Bullshit.